Hello. We are back at Mass Lib Radio on K-Wink 97.7. I'm Lily. And I'm Kaylee. We are so excited to be back for our 12th episode um, and want to just remind you, yeah, we do, we're do. we doing it. Um, community radio is made possible with over 100 local DJs and supporters like you. You can sponsor Mass Liberation Radio or become a member of um, the K-Wink fam by visiting their website, kwinkradio.org. That's kwnkradio.org. Yeah, and we are on Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at 9, I found out. <laughs> I found out about Saturdays at 9 the surprise way this week, and I was excited about it. A pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, today we are going to debrief the Impacted Families event we had on the 12th, um, and we are going to have a special guest. Marissa, she's an Impacted Family member. Yes, and she's um, an awesome activist, um, and her brother um, was killed, and we're going to have her kind of tell us about her story, and she's also started a nonprofit. And I think what's really interesting is that, like we've said, like these people, some people are activists for for all sorts of reasons, but these people, impacted families, become some of the most powerful um, I think, and they did not. They did not choose this life; it chose them. Yes, it totally did. And I think we touched on a good point on our last episode, where it's usually women behind these movements. We interviewed Anne Marie before, and she was a powerhouse on Saturday. Yeah. Um, and also Marissa. So that's why we're having her this week. Yeah, and we are just so excited to uplift their voices. I think Saturday went really well. Shout out to everybody who helps. That was a beautiful display of community support. Shout out the Holland Project. Shout out Sierra Arts Foundation. Really pulled through with us um, for providing a space for our art build. Yes. So we can make uh, beautiful portraits and signs for the families. And also Sierra Arts Foundation providing a space for us where we can have flowers and refreshments and snacks and live classical music for the family so they can mourn and grieve that day. Yes. Um, Shout out to Brian Fox for putting together the violin, that string vigil that was really beautiful. Um, You know, art and music go hand in, or art and um, protest go hand in hand. So it's always really important to reach out. And I find that the people that help us the most are always based within the arts, for sure. Of course, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so many thank yous and shout outs have to be made, you know, like shout out to the Reno Worker. Mm-hmm. JJ and Chris are doing their thing. And this is Reno did a beautiful spread too. Yeah, JJ's photos were gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and to Laney. American Indian Movement, oh, yeah. Lainey for the amazing artistry. Um, Anna for the... Zine. We yes, there's a zine that um that came with this protest. And I think we're gonna do it every time from now on because it's really important to have this information. Um you can pick up a zine at the Holland Project. We're gonna leave some here if you didn't get a zine during the um during the auction on Saturday. It gives you a lot of information about um what's going on with the police budget, the um, incarcerated folks, people that have died, all of this information, as well as info about your county commissioner meetings and your city council meetings. And we're going to try to just keep pumping things like that out um, so everyone has the information they need because we are about to vote. And there are some 
extreme changes that need to be made in Reno and some people who actually want to make them and Sparks. Yeah, we're about 50 days out. I think a little less now. Yes, I would like to shout out the only person within local government, Wendy, for showing up, as she always does. So there is one person running for Spark City Council, um, Wendy, that does show up. I see her on the streets. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't show up in a campaign manner or to speak or anything. She shows up as a community member. And I really wish that we could see— The Black Lives Matter sign. Yeah, I really wish we could see more of that from our other— our other government representatives, you know, I do, I do not see them. Yeah. <laughs> so shout out Wendy. Yeah. <laughs> You're awesome. Um, all right. Well, I agree. If there's anybody that didn't go, do you want to say anything about what? Oh yeah. Do we say American Indian movement mm-hmm. to aim? Yes. Ray from aim. They did a beautiful prayer. Um, and, an unshout out to the cops. Yes, they were laughing. Uh, laughing, a lot. not okay. So we're gonna go ahead and call Marissa now. Hello. Hi, Marissa. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Hey, right, good. It's Lily and Kaylee. Hi, Marissa. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm gonna put my headphones on real quick. Okay. Hello. Hey. Hello. Okay, I'm in. Awesome. So we um, just kind of introduced you and talked about the event on the 12th. And I know there's a ton um, that you're doing and that you have done as well as um, stories. And we wanted to just kind of dedicate this whole episode to anything you want to talk about. Um, So, and I know you also have something I saw yesterday coming up this weekend as well. So if you want to plug that or talk about Anything at all, the floor is yours. Yeah, definitely. So my brother's name is Michael Barrera, and my brother was two years older than me. And, um, you know, we grew up really close. And he was killed by police in our hometown of Woodland, California, on February 8, 2017. Um, Like most, my brother... My brothers, uh, it was a shock to us. We didn't, the last thing I ever expected to hear was that my brother was killed and then further on to hear that he was killed by the police. Um, my brother had not committed any crimes. In fact, Michael had been assaulted. Someone had assaulted Michael in his home prior. And um, there's evidence and physical, you know, physical evidence inside the house of um, an assault. There was blood uh, fingerprints on the wall. So uh, he was killed less than a mile from his house. So, you know, there's a lot of answers we will never have. We will never really know exactly, but Michael did tell a witness that he had been jumped by three guys in his house. And then, you know, just a few moments later, the police killed him. He did not have any weapons on him. Yeah, he didn't... He did not have any weapons on him. He had not committed a crime. He, from the evidence I gathered too, because I, I showed up pretty shortly after, it looked like Michael maybe had just gotten out of the shower. And uh, he was about to eat his fruit bowl. He had a big old fruit bowl that his fiance had cut for him. Mm-hmm. And something happened. He had texted her that morning too, because he had been um, targeted by police prior in our town by a certain police officer. So, 
he had been speaking out against his officers and letting people know that Officer Wright was um, doing stuff to him and had assaulted him prior. But when they released the story, the narrative was shit. It, uh, they accused my brother of having three weapons on him when he was killed. And they tried to claim that he was naked as well, wearing a trench coat, which that wasn't true. I myself what? had went and I had went and um, obtained surveillance from his apartment complex the following day. So I seen my brother. Something happened in his home. He he came out. He was watching his back. He, you know, he was walking. But when they released that narrative, it just made the whole. You know, a lot of people think, like, they trust the police and they believe any word. So, to me, it's like, hey, so the police killed Michael, but they got to go tell the story. The killers got to tell mm. the story and put the narrative out there. Yeah. I questioned it right away because, one, my brother was a Mexican man. He was a dark-skinned Mexican man. He was very, uh, he, he knew his rights. He knew a lot. He was. But he, one thing he always would, like, he's told me multiple times is he would never, he would never, like, try to fight the police. If the police try to go after him, he would put his hands up because he's a dark man, you know, and they kill black people, you know, yeah. they kill dark people, and um, they're more likely to kill a darker person, so... Yeah. That's something that, and I knew my brother, cause, because some things that they released, they said that he was naked, that he uh, was exposing himself, that he was breaking into cars, that all this crazy random things that Michael would never do. Like, we had a very, he had daughters. He had me, I'm his baby sister. Right. Like, he, we, we were, like, we hated perverts and, you know, pedophiles right. and creeps like that. My brother protected me my whole life from people like that. Right. So... Yeah, so when that uh, we did find out for a little while that he was killed by police, we were not contacted by the police. My mom what? was contacted. What? Yeah, my mom was contacted because she works for the Dignity Healthcare, and there's that's where hospital Dignity Health, and uh, someone who was an acquaintance recognized my brother, called my mom on her work phone, and told her she needed to get there now. And at the time, I was at work a couple towns down. And my mom called me, and I was on my lunch break, and I, right away, I'm like, Mom, like, I'll come right now. And she's like, well, let me go first. Like, I don't want to worry you. Let me just, because she was down the street, and I just already had that feeling. I felt yeah. through my body. I just, like, I was in a dark room at the time. I was the manager of the gym, and I just felt this crazy feeling. Now I'm like, what the hell? But then, um, so we didn't know right away that he was killed by police. Their story was that Michael was killed, and he was in somebody's yard just dead and um, there's an mm -hmm. altercation but then the sheriffs were there protecting the door so my brother was in the hospital room we were two doors down because uh, three different uh, people at the hospital attempted to take my mom into the room and the sheriff blocked her three times versus the doctor the nurse the doctor and the chaplain and how is that they, legal how is that how dare they yeah yeah, it was it was pretty sick, you know. Looking back, um, like I I mean, of course, I wish I could have done things differently. But what was being 
my head was run through that door, you know, but I don't know what they would have done to me. They would have probably beat me up for sure, you know, right. and, um, and then I couldn't have, I couldn't have gotten out to find out more because so short, while we were at the hospital, they kept telling my mom they were going to let her go in and, you know, have his, have her last moments with him. And they never did. Um, so during that time while we were waiting, uh, I hear that there's cops at my, my brother's apartment. So automatically that's a red flag because I know for, he wasn't killed there. So I'm right. like, why are they at his home? Right. So I went there immediately. I, I really look back. I'm like, I was like the detective. I was like, the yeah, you're oh, on I was it. doing everything. But I showed up to his apartment with his fiance who was pregnant at the time. They Their baby was only uh, just four months pregnant. So, and Michael was very excited about his next daughter, you know? Um, hello? Yes, yeah. I, so we're just oh, sorry. we're sorry. Our funny. jaws are on the floor. Sorry, we're just okay. So no, <laughs> no problem. Yeah. So um, we show up at the apartment, and there's cops. You know, we see the unmarked car. We see the cop car. I just keep walking past them. Um, once they seen that I was going to his apartment, they start screaming, "Hey, hey! You can't go that way." There was nothing blocked off. Right. So, uh, I mean, even if there was, I would have probably went past it. But I just ran up to my brother's apartment and I tried to unlock it because I did have his key. And mm-hmm. they were just laughing at me and they were yelling at me. And they're like, well, you're not going to get through anyways. It's dead bolted from inside. So they had already been in there. They had already locked it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I kind of I tried to peer through the back. Uh, there's a little back back patio, you know, and I could see that the house was in chaos and that his apartment was totally chaotic. And I was trying to look and they were, th- they were saying they were going to arrest me. He was shaking his handcuffs at me. And, um, I do have all of this recorded. I, I documented it all my, wow, uh, Marissa, you are, it's so hard to think like that when you're in that state. It's really incredible that you were so on it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and uh, part of it, you know, of course, losing my brother like that, I just, I knew that they couldn't be trusted. I knew that the way they were treating me, like, because I think back, if they were innocent people, if they were, um, don't touch that, baby. They would, like, and, and this goes for all the families, like, they don't need to treat us like that. We're victims and suffering, of, you know, our loss. Like, they could have some respect, but they don't, and... So I just knew, like, right away, like, these are the enemies. Like, they are not our friends. And they were lying about how they knew my, how they knew it was. Because I questioned them, what are you guys doing here? You have no business here, blah, blah, blah. You know, I was on it. And they, uh, the stories changed. It changed five times in the first two days about Michael. Um, wow. Yeah, so with the apartment... I don't know exactly what happened, but I do know he got chased out of his apartment somehow. There's a punch in the wall. There is blood fingerprints. And I know with the investigation of whether these officers were, um, you know, within their legal scope and rights, which they were found justified, it was like the fact that my brother's house had been, he had been assaulted prior and his house was broken into somehow was never even mentioned. Like, right. it wasn't mentioned that, hey, this man, he got... You know, he was assaulted in his home and stuff right before he was killed by police. That has been like all they mentioned to the public was that my brother. That they said that he also um, 
lunged at, that he tries to uh, swing a golf club at these, all this crazy stuff. And then, but in the end, just how I knew, and it, it wasn't true. I just this past last year, my family was able to obtain, there are videos and full audio. Their video is partial because they're from the dash cam. There may be more that they're just not releasing. From 2017? Yeah. Yeah. We barely, about a year ago. Wow. So now I, what I have personally right here in my possession is, uh, which just not too long ago is, uh, it's full audio because they did have like the body audio, I guess. Mm -hmm. So you could hear the whole interaction. You see part of it to the dash cam and I have the pictures, which there's, they claim the pictures are um, protected and they, uh, of the damage they did to my bot my brother's body. So, um, they kept my brother's body from us. Uh, they, we were not able to see, we were not able, uh, it took five days. It took five days and there's a chance we would have never seen, but basically the, the coroner told us, Hey, they called, it happened on a Wednesday. On a Friday, they called me. I was, I'm the one who's, who's dealt with everything. So they called me and said that, hey, we can release his body now, but you have to release it to a funeral home. What? I didn't know how this worked. Yeah, I didn't know anything. We were just kind of like, okay, we get to finally. So we released it to one in Woodland. And they wouldn't let us see the body either. And I knew right away once I talked to Batman, uh, the funeral director of Craft Bros in Woodland, he is a scumbag, and he told me, he's like, no, you guys can't come see the body. If you come, it's going to cost a lot of money because I don't work weekends. And he was saying it was going to be $1,500, and, well, only one person could come in, and that is it. Like, he was what? Thinking, and so he, the cops bribe him. He works with the cops or something. Exactly. And yeah. I knew it right when he called me because he called me from a block call. I had just talked to one of his workers who called me, and it was a regular call. Then I got a block call. I already know this from a long time ago. Who, only people that call block calls, most likely, are going to be the pigs. So, yep. And then I when I told that. him, hey, yeah, I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to put you on speaker because I can't really hear you that well because my family was all in the house. And then he was like, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. And he hung up on me. And then he called me back from a non-block call. So that was my first interaction with that man. Oh, no. Um, so I took it to Facebook, our community group. I said, hey, this, you know, everybody knew what was going on. And so many people had a lot of trash to talk. But I posted about that funeral home. And I got so many responses of people telling me, get your brother out of there. I got four uh, former employees that said things along the line, like they could fix the bodies. They're in bed with the cops. All the cops get paid. You know, all their family members get, get funeral services for free, like, what? Yeah, it's so dirty. And and they own two of the three funeral homes in Woodland. So I then had, and there's a lot of other stories, um, bad stories about them, how they treated uh, families, you know? Um, Yeah, I want to ask about that, Marissa. Uh, Susan, uh, she's a mother here. Her son was killed by Sparks Police. She's told us that she's been harassed by the police. I wanted to know if you've experienced um, police harassment. Yes, I I definitely have. And that's something that I am very uh, vocal about and and, uh, try to let people know. I received harassment from the police from the beginning. 
just how I speak now. Like, I was speaking then, but back then, I didn't really know what was going on, you know. I was still, like, you know, everything was everything was crazy, but now looking back, I'm like, damn, how the hell did I do all this, and how did I deal with it? But, yeah, so the police, you were um, I've been, right. yeah, yeah, and I was just going, like, it felt like, you know, I don't know, but um, I've been followed by by police. They definitely made sure to make their rounds around my home, which in the neighborhood I lived in at the time, I had never seen them in that area. Right. Um, so many rounds around my home. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a particular acquaintance of mine who she knew my brother before. I didn't know her until after, but she, uh, a certain girl, she had reached out to me later and she had seen, she worked at a store at Party City. So there's a, my son's birthday was just a couple of weeks after my brother was killed, and I wasn't, you know, it was really hard, but I, I still gave him his part, a party of family, and I went to get balloons. So, and then a, a little, like a couple months later, I, my brother, I had a vigil for him, so I went to get balloons again. So during those two times, she had seen a man following me in a suit, and then he came back and tried to ask her if they could, if they had surveillance. Wow. Um, they, yeah, he asked her, and she they do have a camera, but she said that it actually doesn't work, but they just have it up there, you know? And she told him, um, you know, I can't just release things like that. Are you a detective? Do you have, a you know, a warrant or something? And that he, he just kind of got a little snappy, and he just took off. Right. So she said that when I left, that he was hiding behind, like, this thing that holds cards, and he was watching me. Um. So there's that. I already knew they were following me and stuff. I had seen people, but that was just an extra confirmation. Um, maybe about a week after my brother was killed, I was at a week or two. No, maybe the first week. But I was at a restaurant that um, I was having lunch with my brother's fiance and a friend of mine. And it was in the midst of all this craziness. And uh, for some reason that day, I have a good intuition, but I kind of was like, wanting to sit in the back corner, I just kind of felt like I needed to watch my surroundings. And as I was eating, this man, he was a white man, he, he came in, and as soon as he walked in, he was like, oh, Marissa, hey, how's it going? Like, he just started making a conversation across the room. And I was like, what the hell? Because I didn't recognize him. Right. And, and, and in Woodland, before all of this, I, I, you know, a lot of people knew me. I did a lot in the community. I was <coughs> a personal Fine. trainer. I had done a lot of events, like fitness stuff. I've trained a lot of people in that town. And so it's not, you know, surprising for people to recognize me. But I was like, oh, I'm like, hey, where do, do I know you? And he was like, oh, yeah, I met you at the gym at uh, – I can't remember the name of the gym, but he named the specific gym. And then I was like, I don't recognize you. And he's like, yeah, you know, I see all the things you're doing. He's like, you're so inspirational, so motivational. I see your videos. He's like, sometimes we just need to live for ourselves and let things go. And I was like, excuse me, I don't know you. Like, it was really weird. Yeah. And my friends, they kind of looked at me. I'm kind of like, I was taking that as as a threat, an indirect threat. You know, I was. So that night, I go to sleep, wake up randomly, 3 in the morning, start looking on my phone. I end up on the Woodland Police Department website. I find him. He was definitely an officer, Officer Daryl Moore, 
and he had killed a man in 2014. So that was like a real life killer who approached me, you know, afterwards. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm over here just speaking truth, you know, questioning them because they killed my brother. So um, that was another time. A lot of things like that happened. I've had officers um, because I was in the community groups and we've been before this. And it's just so much drama, a lot of, you know, a lot of people talking shit, saying things about my brother, saying things about me. They really attacked me. Um, but there, there was a couple times when there were some officers on there, and there's one specifically who told the community, Marissa's inciting violence Wow, the community. This is the most scandalous story I've heard yet. Yeah. This yeah. is... And just for listeners, for our listeners, Marissa is this, like, beautiful woman who is, like, also petite. Like, she's the last. She's a very non-threatening energy and presence. This is not—not that it matters, but just so, like, everyone can get a picture of who we're talking about here. This is not, you know, Thor. You're, you know, clearly, you know, she's a mother. She's a community member. This is not, it's not, I, this is disgusting. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was, it was really crazy. Um, that same woman officer who told that community I was inciting violence is named on paperwork in my brother's case. And what? she had actually went and took pictures of the evidence after Michael was killed. So I didn't know exactly that was her role, but I knew she was on the paperwork. So I directed her, like, you shouldn't even be on here speaking. I tried to make a complaint. Of right. course. I know that, you know, I've known before when I try to make complaints against cops that they make it impossible, but it's just, you know, just because I just did it because I know I wanted them to know like, hey, you know, you guys can't keep doing this to me. Like, I will call you guys out. Right. You have to have it on record, but we do know they investigate each other, which is a huge issue. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so lots of crazy stuff like that. Um, I really... Personally, really got stomped, attacked, uh, a lot of things. Um, but that really, you know, I look back like, what the hell? I shouldn't have to deal with that. But I did. And, you know, it just kind of made me a stronger voice. Yeah. And, like, that that helped me be like, no, you're not going to bully me. These people aren't going to bully me and silence me. Right. And it's important for it's important for us to see that and especially for the kids that you're around to see that and for all, you know, impacted people, black and brown people to see each other standing up together. Yeah, together so that we know like that you can't, you know, we have to hold our power and stand in our power, even though, you know, these cowards have the power of the badge behind us like or behind them. We have each other. And it's important to stand up. Black and brown lives matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell me about what, like, so this there's, like, witness tampering. Obviously, they've probably planted evidence. And this is one of those things that it's, like, it's so routine. Like, they plant the evidence. They twist the story. They harass the the family members. And then they try to silence you. And then maybe if you're lucky, they settle um, settle out of court or whatever or give you a settlement so that so that you are quiet. 
And it seems like that is the routine. Like, that's what they're trying to do with Breonna Taylor's family, too. And if you get on the internet, you see all of these insane people that are carrying on these fake stories. Like, oh, this person was a drug dealer. This It's always, there's always drugs. Because every, as everyone yeah. knows, that's all black and brown people do is drugs. All we do is drugs and crime. You know, always. That's all we do. We're useless and we do drugs. Um, so there's always that. Yeah, drugs and rapists and pedophiles. We're all, you know, very bad hombres or whatever our idiot president says. Um, you know, and and these people really subscribe to this. And there's no amount of, yeah, there's no evidence that you can present people once the cops have said something. And it's this weird cultish thing. Like, you can't get through that door. Um, and the thing that that's terrible about impacted families is that there's more of that. It's like once somebody is called killed by the cops, all of a sudden it's a political issue when it's like, hold on, this could be you. And that was a thing that I noticed on Saturday, if you could speak on that a little bit about like some of the there wasn't like counter protesting, but like what the cops are doing and some people driving by and some of the families saying like until it happens to you. Yeah. You think that until it's you. Yeah, definitely. <sighs> that's why, that's one thing that made me really, my work is more centered towards the impacted family. Because when this happens to me and my family, my goodness, I I would never wish that on anybody. Like, no. all the stuff on top of losing our loved one that way, all the stuff they do to us. It's just, it's horrible. And that's why I was so angered on Saturday at the event to see, one, the cops, you know, it was clearly a peaceful event. Like, yes, family, that they were even family. there. Yeah, that they were even there. I mean, I've, I've seen them before, like my brother's first march. The rally I had, they, they were there, but they hid. They tried to hide, you know. So just that seeing them in plain sight, and you know who the first person that, that pointed it out to me, that they seen them? It was my eight-year-old son, Jake. He's like, mm. mom, the, the pigs are up there. And I was like, what the hell? Like, my goodness. And then uh, specifically when the Bonsta family was speaking, you know, I'm sure most of us heard the cops laughing. And mm-hmm. From across and the street. Me, yeah. To me, that was purposely, it was a, it's a local you know, case. Oh, yeah. That's known, you know, it's like, you don't do stuff like that. So that, that angered me. Just, you know, their same tactic. And it's just so disrespectful. But that's, like... So disrespectful. Really yeah, and it's hard to balance the emotions because we're out here for one thing and then they're coming and trying to stomp on us. What is it, do you think, about the cops that they have no remorse for? Because we've kind of asked everybody this. Like, what is it about the cops? Oh, my goodness. To you. Um, like, what What do you... Because, I mean, it's a mystery none of us really know, but... I mean, at, at this... I mean, at this point, I mean, it's hard for me to understand because one thing I'll, I will say, like, you know, when it's like, oh, not all cops are bad... One thing I I really tried to explain to people is like I personally don't think all the cops in the in the country are out there trying to be like hey I want to go kill somebody I don't think that you know no. but there are a lot of them who 
that's just how they are. They're abusive. You know, they abuse their power. They hurt people. They, they're grimy. And I don't know, at this point, I feel like it's just like, they feel maybe it's just us against them. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like, you know, I am a cab because I cannot find the cop that tells on the other cop before they're exposed. You know, it's like, where is the good cop? In every single one of these situations, there are so many police officers. Why isn't there one that's like, hey, um, so we planted evidence and this happened and this happened and this happened. Like, I've just, when, and the only cops that I know right now that are like this, you know, this kind of stuff is ridiculous, are retired or quit. Yeah. So good cops yeah. are, good cops are retired cops or cops that became firemen or something. Yeah. <laughs> because at this point, I think that there, if there were this, if there were these good cops that people would be putting their badges in the trash can, you know? Yeah. Um, something that I think of, because I do know some people who, uh, like, had cop relatives or whatnot, you know? And the thing for me, too, I'm like, hey, like... Hi, buddy. <laughs> I'm like, if, if, you know, we all know what's going on. Like, cops know what's going on. If they're, if you know, if they talk to their wives... They know what's going on. Shouldn't we all want to get? Shouldn't we all want to get these bad cops off? Because there's right. a danger to the good supposed cops as well. Right. But you I don't think know. one bad apple spoils the bunch? Yeah. Thank you, Kaylee. <laughs> the adage, ladies and gentlemen, and all friends, is one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. Not one bad yeah. apple exists, and so the whole bunch is fine. But. Yeah, I just, <laughs> And you constantly see people saying like, hey, not all cops are bad, you know, mm -hmm. but they don't they don't care. Like those are just ignorant people, I believe, that don't don't take a second thought. They're the same ones that when people are killed by police, they say, oh, they shouldn't have done this. And they're same ones when, you know, anything against the police, they'll be like, wait for the evidence. You know, they don't. Yeah. And then it's fake evidence. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, it's just with every story, you know, like, we're, and we've, the cops have been sprinkling crack on black and brown people since the dawn of, you know, since the 80s. It's not new. Probably even when Nixon was president. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, cops aren't supposed to kill, like, I, I don't know how many times I would say yeah, this. Yeah, you, you know, guilty people too, you know, like, you're supposed to have a trial, you're not supposed to just die at the scene, like. You're never supposed to die yeah. at the scene, Ever. That's never what's supposed to happen. If murderers it, can, like, get away and have a trial, like, Dylan Roof types, Kyle Rittenhouse types, yeah. then... And where, and two, where are... I would like to know kind of about the three men who instigated the um, thing with your brother with Michael in the first place. Like, where are those people? Did we find those people? Are they just running free, beating people up in their homes because the cops <laughs> wanted to kill your brother? Yeah. Yeah. See that, 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 it really gets me like, I will never know, but something I was thinking about, I think barely yesterday after these years, it hit me. I'm like, you know what? There's got to be more evidence out there. There's got to be more people that have maybe seen something, you know, I, I can't settle with, I'll never know, you know, like, no, like, I got to, it's been so long, but I can't just die. Not, not trying, you know, you're so, you're so inspiring. And and I just, we're here for you. If there's anything we can do, because this kind of stuff, this, what this can happen. For. Yeah, that's exactly, this is what community is for. And um, 
And if if you listeners think that she's awesome now, wait till you hear about her nonprofit. Uh, <laughs> so no. do you want to—we can either— we can play a song and and then come back and talk about the nonprofit, or you can right now. I know you have a little one, so whatever you want to do. Um, yeah, go ahead. That's fine if you want to do the song first. Okay. And come back and get on that. All right, we are on K Wink speaking with Marissa Barrera, and we are going to play Turntables by Janelle Monet. Yeah, uh, I've been flipping through my timeline, trying to get my mind right. And we are back with 97.7 K-Wink Radio. We are Mass Liberation Project Radio. I'm Lily. And I'm Keely. And we're here with... Marissa. Marissa Barrera, who is an amazing power woman. Um, and her brother, Michael Barrera, say his name, um, was tragically killed by the police. And she is telling her story Um and just talking to us a little bit about the immense corruption that she experienced after this tragedy. Um, Marissa, thank you so much again for coming on and telling us your story. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, and she was one of the speakers at the last event um, hosted by Impacted Families and Reno Cop Watch um, with support of the community and people like you. I think it was really successful other than the cops who we were talking about earlier um, disparaging these family members. Um, And that was just really, just really telling, you know, you would think that this, I mean, that these people would at least be remorseful, especially, and even pretend remorseful in a climate like this. But they're, they're trying, they're wanting it. You know, they want us to be, they want us to be, uh, so angry that we break something so they can put us in jail and kill us there, basically. Um, I wanted to talk about your your nonprofit. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So I, it's brand new. I just, on my my last birthday, July 16th, I, I did, you know, I did my first filing. I got it, it incorporated in my... Congrats. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So it's called Voices of Strength, both. Um, and it is for the impacted, it's to center the voices of the impacted families and survivors of police terrorism. Um, and we, my aim here is to provide the families with some, with support from, you know, it's peer to peer mentoring because we're the mm. ones who have lived through this. And um, so it's it's for our healing, but it's also in our quest for justice because a lot of families don't know how to, it, some don't know how to, don't have the guidance, how to speak or fight back. And some just, you know, we don't have it in us because we're so hurt and it's a lot, you know. So, so you're reliving your trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I also do include the, the victims who... Um, of police terrorism, the survivors, because mm-hmm. to me, they're the ones here that are able to tell their stories and who have survived it. I I started this because over these last three and a half years, it's 
it's been crazy and there's not really anything for the families. Right. Um, I mean, even when our, our loved ones are killed, we can't, we can't get the funds because, um, there's funds for when people are killed by violent crime to help cover their funeral, things like that. Like our families mm-hmm. can't even tap into that because it's, uh, involving police. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Because they're considered a suspect. What? <laughs> yeah. So that... um, that's just, you know, a pinch of the start of, Ugh. yeah. So, um, and then, I mean, so even for me personally with, Families and friends. And my best friends at the time of my brother's murder, they are not my best friends anymore. They're not even in my life. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we popped off quick. Uh, I lost family. I lost friends. Like I said earlier, I was known in my town for being a personal trainer. And my, my, my style of it was not just like, hey, let's get in shape. It's like, hey, let's dig deep. What's going on? What's causing this? Like, mm-hmm. it was truly about like, hey, personal, you know development and healing ourselves in a way I didn't realize that till later but after helping so many clients and um, working with so many people I realized that so to me it's just it's hard to uh to be the one trying to hold my whole family up yeah like my parents you know stuff so I just feel like the work I've done um like I've met families that I went to Vegas earlier this year and we held an event out there for the impact of families with force trajectory um, project, right? Yes. 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 And, Shout out force trajectory can, project. And yes. Lisa. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the reason this event came about is because when the George, you know, George Floyd was killed and you know, everything was so crazy, but at the same, I feel like these killings, these recent killings, they have, made um the awareness go up you know more people are paying Mm -hmm. attention but uh, at the same time i see that it created a lot of division um Mm. within especially because there with vegas what prompted us to go was that impacted families were being told like there was you know events being held out there and impacted families were told that they can't speak at the events because they're not black and they can't share their loved one story that had been Murdered in that town. Yeah, and- we don't like that. I actually, that, that happened at an event with, um, here, you know, I was with a friend who Susan got up to speak in it before. You know, it was, like, right after we had reached out to Susan. And she's like, I don't want this white lady. I was like, hold on a second. We, like, this happens to everybody, y'all. Like, if this is the thing that has also, to unite Susan us. Susan has a black son, Yeah, and Susan too. has a black son. But still, it's like, you don't have to, you do not have to be black to be murdered by the police. yes. Yes, we are, you know, black, black people are disproportionately killed, and we do not need to minimize that. However, you know, state-sanctioned violence can affect any one of us. I don't want anyone to think that no matter how many Blue Lives Matter flags or rallies you go to, you can be killed by the cops, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's, that's, that, that, that was hurtful for us. I mean— Okay, that, that kind of stuff has happened to me before. So mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm used to that. I can handle my own. I can stand up for myself. I can I can make, you know, things happen. Um, I see, and on that same time, I've seen it happen to so many families across the country that I'm friends with. I've seen so many of them voicing 
that these type of things happen. So I feel like, and then at the same time, in a similar way, I see like people that had never that know me and know my bro knew my brother that never been supportive. You know, they'll they're sharing these feelings of George Floyd or speaking out on things, and I'm like, dude, these people, like my brother was killed very similar way to him, and it's just kind of like, damn, like to me, it's almost like the bandwagon. I'm like, how can you guys have a, how can you have an event in your town and not honor or recognize the people that were killed for the very cause that you're speaking of? And how right. can you not the family? So to me, um, a lot of stuff like that has happened over the years. So, and I've had some unfavorable experiences with some organizations uh, locally out here that claim to be, you know, speaking or for the fight against police brutality. So for me, I just kind of, I backed off from, um, because when my brother was killed, I jumped in. I had, I'd never been involved in this kind of stuff, but I jumped in. I, I made myself present at many events and met a lot of people. And I did this all by myself. Like nobody would come with me to events like that. And, um, wow, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I look back and I'm like, you know, who would rock with me? My mom, the first year she couldn't get out. Like she felt like she was going to die. Like she mm -hmm. felt sick, like yeah. everything, but like these, um, my son, Jace, has always, <laughs> like, he's the he's, one he's who's rocked with me. on it, yeah. Um, and my parents, they will come to events if I, if I, you know, tell them. So they will show up. But so seeing stuff like that over the years, being personally attacked by organizations and different activists here who were mad at me for speaking out because I'm not, you know, because I'm not black and um, that I shouldn't try to take their shine that's how they acted and i'm like hey wow. i'm actually like i've really lost my brother like right. this isn't even about like like how are you gonna like i here, i felt like how are you gonna have these events you you're you're up there speaking and you've never even been impacted like and that's you're gonna not okay yeah and that that's so ignorant because there's a long history of um of black and brown solidarity. That is, black this is not unity. new. With that's always been a thing. So y'all, if you're if you're of that ilk, you need to be doing some reading because that is not you know like we. I think every every episode we bring up the Rainbow Coalition, mm -hmm. um, you which know. the Young Lords were a part of. Right, and they were a Puerto Rican uh, group that was a part of the Rainbow Coalition as well. Um, black, brown, and indigenous people um, are also disproportionately affected by police brutality and violence. However, I am shying away from the phrase BIPOC. Okay, yeah. I, I don't did really some like digging it into either. that. I didn't know about that. And then, and it was like all of a sudden, all of my white activist or whatever ally people were like, this is the word we use now. And I'm like, I was not at the cookout where we discussed that at all. I don't like POC, though. <laughs> like, I don't like, well, can we just isolate it? Just when we're talking about black people, we're talking about black yeah, people. Yeah, I think yeah, we're we talking black about, or brown. Yeah, just we're talking about brown people. We're talking about brown people. Yeah. Um, so I guess BIPOC was made up by some white lady on Twitter. So we can put that in the trash. Um, <laughs> but right now, what's most, like, what's most important is we just say impacted families. When it comes to this and that, you know, I hate that this tragic, this these tragic events are unifiers, but maybe 
These are the unifiers we need for everyone to understand that the government and the state doesn't care about you. Yeah, because before we're on the sh- uh you came on, Marissa, uh, Lily made a good point that I want to reiterate that you didn't choose this life. This life chose you. It could happen to anybody. And, you know, like like you said, like you weren't really going to this stuff before. But after your brother died, when was killed, uh, you got involved. And so... You know, it, until it happens to you, um, that's when you'll realize, um, or at least for some people, will we'll realize. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't happen to you. Hopefully you can just get behind these people now. Um, and and speaking of Marissa, how can we, how can we help? Tell us what's you know how what can we do? What can somebody listening right now? How can we support you? Um. So, go ahead, baby. So to um, just okay. So backtrack real quick down to uh, both and why I started Voices of Strength. Um, it's because of these families. You know, these yeah. families. Once after my brother was killed, then then it opened my eyes to this whole thing, and I'm like, hey, this is like real. So um, to this day, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families that I've crossed now, mm-hmm. and um, many I have met in person. Many are my good friends that I feel like. You know, I, those are the people I could talk to if I just need to reach out. Um, I feel like the families are a vital key and part of, of this and making change. Um, I feel like what's going on right now, it kind of happens every year. But yeah. I mean, these killings, they have been ones that hit national news. Like shortly after my brother was killed, the Stephon Clark killing in Sacramento, where I live, mm-hmm. happened and it blew the town up. But yeah, after but a while, what happened to your brother? Did that was there that response? That's what I'm wondering. Like, why is it some of these cases are huge? Yeah, yeah. You know, okay, so with that, to me, my brothers, we lived 15, 20 minutes from Sacramento, smaller town. Um, my brother got no attention. And the mm. only, if I wouldn't have been speaking out, I don't think, you know, there would have been nothing. Um, so that is hard. A lot of families go through that for me. Um, I, I, I go out and support families still, but I recognize how that is. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like that's part of the media. That's part of the, the script that they want to, whoever's pulling these strings, they want us to follow. Um, and just like what's going on right now, there are still people who are out there, you know, who go out there and protest or who support the movement mm-hmm. that believe that it's only a few people getting killed by police. And that's why, you know, that's kind of why we decided to keep doing the, why Nathaniel, um, too, started this radio station. Like, we're the media now. All right? Yeah. Like, we'll say whatever we want. We are the media now. Yeah, we'll center impacted <laughs> families because I think that's what you were saying and that's most important is just people stepping back is one thing that people can do or listeners can do and letting the family speak, listening to these stories, uh, getting yourself aware of these things. When there are events like the one we had on the 12th, showing up for your yeah. impacted family Just members hold space and community. For people. Yes. Yeah. And go ahead and take a gander at, no matter where you are, I know a lot of our listeners are in Reno, but some aren't. Go mm-hmm. and look at the OIS reports in your town. Officer-involved shooting. Yeah. Go look at your OIS, like look up OIS report whatever town you're in. And I think you'll be surprised to hear, read a lot of names 
of people who have been killed in your town. Or how long it takes for uh, body cam footage and uh, police reports to be released. I know uh, it should be illegal that they kept you from seeing your brother's body uh, Mm -hmm. five days. I I can't believe that. Mm -mm. Yeah. And then also, I forgot, I don't know if I got to it earlier, but they also did tamper with his body because they covered up some of the, they covered up and faked the damage. And I always knew that from before. But um, one of the one of the former employees that specific told me they can make somebody look brand new almost, you mm-hmm. know. And then so when we barely got these pictures this past year, um, yeah, totally. They covered up my brother's damage and they even posted in the newspapers and the reports that there was no physical damage to my brother's body, that he just died from maybe being tasered or maybe drugs. <laughs> that's that's yeah that's the yeah. thing that narrative like you the guys if, you delirium. know people don't die of just being on just having ingested a substance unless it's like an overdose you know what mm-hmm. i mean like an overdose also doesn't usually involve the police yeah usually they come after the overdose yeah like maybe yeah. it was partially the police's fault like right. maybe I've, I damn near have a heart attack every time I see a cop. Yeah. So, I mean, it wouldn't take much to push me over the edge. If I get, well, the second I get pulled over, I'm like, oh, my God, sweating, you yeah. know, elevated heart rate, Get total anxiety. anxiety. Yeah. yeah, it's just, it's, you they're terrorists. You feel protected. You feel afraid. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, that's the common, um, especially being, you know, that women are killed too, but that being that how men are, yes, especially our mm-hmm. black and brown men, you know, I would be scared too. Like just nobody. I mean, I grew up as a kid being scared of cops for a reason. Right. You know, our communities were scared of cops yes. because they're not our friends. And we can police our own communities too. By the way, is the thing that you know when when these. When our white allies ask, like, what a post, post-police world looks like, it looks like you don't get to call the cops every time you lose your dog is what it looks like. You have to stop calling them, too. Yeah. You know, like, I know we've so been not families. calling the cops. Or don't call the cops on a homeless person in your neighborhood. Right. Yeah, or someone that looks suspicious. Yeah, I know so many families that they were the ones that, you know, called for help for their loved ones, mm-hmm. and they have to live with that. Some of them seeing them being killed. Um, so something I want to share real quick that happened um, in my hometown. There's a lady, I used to be her trainer. She's a, a white woman. And maybe a year or so after my brother was killed, she lost one of her sons in an accident, a tragic accident on their farm. Mm-hmm. And then so she reached out to me some months later. She was very disturbed because she, she had another son who they were very close in age. And he was going through it for losing his brother. Mm-hmm. And they called the police. And she told me, I like, I'm like, I'm really sorry for your loss again. I mean, she had said that before, but I think people, people say that because they feel they have to, but when mm-hmm. your, your loved one's killed by police, they still probably think that, you know, it was justified no matter what. Right. Um, so what she told me is that she called, they called the cops to help because her son, I'm, 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 I'm going to, from what she said, it sounded like maybe he was contemplating suicide or something. Mm-hmm. And when the cops showed up the same department, showed up in there that he's like what do you want me to do use use uh deadly force on him what like he said yeah so 
that just hit her. She she slammed the door on him, said, you will not get near my son. But, mm-hmm. you know, it made her go back and think in her head, like, oh, you know, that's that's what that's what they do. Like, yeah, so I'm glad I know you made bring her that think up. back about my brother and our story, you know, and she's she's been a little more supportive. Yeah, because that's exactly what happened to the story I brought up earlier. Micaiah Lee, he was an 18-year-old boy. He had mental illness. And a lot of these stories have to deal with mental illness. Um, Kenny Stafford, his family showed up. Um, But yeah, cops got called because he was uh, suicidal. And um, oftentimes, uh, people who are suicidal or suffering from mental illness, PTSD, mood disorder no matter what it is, end up killed by the cops. And so I'm glad that your white friend noticed that. Um, and yeah, like, again, you never know until it happens to you. And, you know, and there has been a city, I know Berkeley has removed the cops from traffic stops. That's a huge one. That, let, you know, traffic stops led to Sandra Bland's death. I don't know if anybody has dug deep into that, but just a series of tra- traffic stops literally killed that woman. And uh, there is a city, I'm trying to remember what city it is, that stopped using um, police for mental health calls. They started using ambulances. And I don't Yes. A shocking, no one has died. Yeah. No well, one has died. You know, and I I've been advocating for that recently, yeah. like arguing with people, even though it's probably very unhealthy for me that, <laughs> uh, you know, paramedics should, um, you know, uh, get called for mental health. Yeah. Calls. I did that earlier this year with mm-hmm. a friend. Um, and actually, she was in L.A. and I was up here and my and my friend in Napa got a call from her. She was um, suffering a psychotic episode and just completely off it and very suicidal and it took two hours luckily she held on for two hours and we were able to like distract her and get her you know keep talking to her the whole time but I demanded that LA County not show up like no LAPD please Mm -hmm. if you show up she's a black Mm -hmm. woman and she will kill herself like Mm -hmm. you know I if you I'm like just the very if the cops knock on the door she will just go and kill herself because she already thinks she's gonna die anyway when she sees you um and by the grace of something, they just did paramedics and firemen. And I was on the phone when they approached her. And the way that they approached her was just so different. It brought it made me cry, actually. It was like, you know, we couldn't find her. She gave us the wrong hotel twice. And they still, like, you could hear the fire. I was on the phone with the fireman the whole time, and they went to two different hotels, and I just kept apologizing, like, sorry, that's where she said she was. They're like, it's okay, it's okay. We're going to find her. So so much compassion. And when they finally found her, like, hey, we've been looking for you. Do you want to come with us? Do you need some help? Shout out to firefighters. They actually yeah. passed by the yeah. event on Saturday and yeah. honked in support. Yeah, shout out to our local fire department. They were, you know, and I know somebody said to one of the cops, which I thought was funny, that could have been you. you know firemen are heroes um and and paramedics are heroes and it's really important that we elevate them and and request them so if you're even in los angeles if you're insistent enough you can get them to not bring the cops and and just outward say it say my family member does not feel safe around the cops they will not help please please bring a paramedic yeah, and I think it makes a big difference because the gentleman I was arguing with on Facebook, 
was saying, you don't you know, most cops are trained to be EMTs and paramedics. But the big difference is, is that paramedics don't have are not armed with a deadly weapon. Right. They're not, you know, they don't have tasers. They're there to say like, oh, um, do you need help? Can we get you uh, mental health care instead of like put your effing hands up? Yeah. And that's the big difference. And people need to realize that. Yeah. And something that I, I just I found myself saying a lot is these officers, they don't know how to even speak to people. Right. They don't know how to speak to people respectfully. My son, he was four and my brother was killed. He's eight now. Even since he was four, he knows, you know, how to speak to people, how right. to use your words. Yeah, they're so rude. They're just it's like people that have never, you know, just people that have no people skills. They're yeah. just so yeah. rude. Yeah. Shoot first and ask questions later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there, um, do you have a website or any, um, any Twitter handles or anything that you want to shout event out? You want to plug? Yeah. Um, you know what? My, uh, voices of strength is under construction. That okay. should be up in the next, uh, by the end of the month. But I do have my personal website, marissabarrera.com. Okay. We'll um, put it on our show notes. And then just, I'm able, I'm on every social media platform okay. with my full name. Awesome. And then do you want to tell people about the event on Saturday that you're the crew? There's a cruise, right? Yes. Yeah, so cruise for justice in the Bay area here in California. So this was put together by Curry. So that's a organization that focuses on restorative justice for uh, youth and um, a co-founder, one of the co-founders is a really good friend and mentor of mine. He actually was the one that encouraged me and, Kind of got me on the ball with starting Voices of Strength. Nice. Yeah. So shout out to George Galvis. And um, so basically, I mean, California has taken the lead with uh, police killings year after year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I typically don't like to compare places because I'm like, hey, they're all bad. You know, mm-hmm. any killings are bad. But with that being said, I do know so many families out here. So we'll be starting um, in San Francisco. We'll be hitting... Oakland and Vallejo. We're starting at a significant. Some we're hitting significant spots. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been some recent killings. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Salgado, Sean Monterosa, both recently killed. Um, after after the George Floyd killing. Um, so those are pretty big ones here in California. Both young uh, Mexican men. So we're hitting the spots where they were killed. Their mother's house, and then we're all gathering. Um, this is for the families. This is like because there's some that are hey protests or rallies, you know. This is more of a community building mm-hmm. event. And um that's kind of what I like these days. I like it that it's something different. We're gonna have our uh, uh our radio station where we'll be playing for people that can't attend or that are gonna be cruising with us. We'll have a radio station that day. We'll be playing some of our loved ones' favorite songs. Some of us will be on the radio. I'm sharing some words about our loved one. I really like how this is different. I Mm -hmm. don't do protests anymore. Um, I chose to put my energy in different directions. And so this to me, it's important to get the families together and um, just build with each other. So that's where we'll be. That's awesome. Um, I love that. And please just let reach out. Your Reno family loves you. And we're just, I'm so happy that we met and so thankful for you for your time. 
and your little one. Thank you for giving us your mom <laughs> for all this time. Yeah, he's he's been making a mess. <laughs> yeah, I really, really appreciate talking to you and, um, you know, going through this mental toll that I've t- taken you over again. I know it's hard yeah. to talk about, but getting the story out is also very important, too. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But um, thank you, ladies, both for help, helping and um, caring and and for doing what you do. Of course. Thank you. All right. Well, um, that was Marissa Barrera. And Marissa, we're going to go ahead and hang up and let you get back to all of this. Your extremely f- b- a busy life. Yeah, um, thank thank you, you so much. All right. All bye. Right, bye. And then we're going to take you out with a song. La Jura by Chicano Batman. You are listening to 97.7 K-Wink, your mass liberation radio. Thank you so much for listening. Un objeto sin vida junto a las